Rabbi Neat Leia Sarna and Rabbi David Wolfenfeld. Shalom and welcome to the Straw Hat. We are the official podcast of Anshay Shalom for the Israel Congregation, an Orthodox synagogue in the beautiful Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. This week's episode features three parts. First, we'll be talking about kind of what it means that there's all these new people moving into our community, but we're not meeting very much in person. So what do we what do we do about that? Uh, then we'll be talking a little bit about the three weeks. And lastly, we'll have a conversation about vows, which is a topic in this week's Parsha. And as pertains to some of our thinking about preparing for Kol Nidre this year um, in these crazy times of COVID. Hope you enjoy the episode. So July is always a special and important time at Anshe Shalom. This is the time of year when we typically see newcomers coming to Lakeview. We're seeing newcomers coming to Lakeview this year. We're just not seeing them. <laughs> exactly. The newcomers are coming. We're just not seeing them. Uh, since I, I first started working here, I, I've just felt like this, you know, a certain melancholy every like May and June as like wonderful veteran members of the shul take other jobs, uh, make aliyah, occasionally even move to the suburbs, though we don't like to talk about that. Um, and that always like it sort of casts a pall over like May and June. But then July, August, September is always so exciting because wonderful new people move to Lakeview to start graduate programs and for new jobs uh, and, and for all sorts of wonderful reasons. And it's so exciting to meet them. And some of them, many of them become really beloved and important and transformative members of the congregation. But this year, it's really hard because I know people are moving in. The jobs um, are starting. The graduate programs are starting. Uh, we're aware of people moving in. It's just much, much harder to meet them and see them. There are some unfamiliar faces that I've seen uh, behind masks <laughs> at some of our outdoor tefillot. Uh, but um, you know, everyone looks kind of unfamiliar with a mask. That's a problem I've been having, actually. <laughs> and, and, and so it's, the, um, it, it's, just, it's a real challenge uh, that, that uh, we've been experiencing. I think one of the small blessings of modern life is that we kind of see people on Facebook kind of popping up like, oh, my spouse and I are moving to Lakeview in the coming weeks. Like, does anyone know, you know, whatever it is that they're looking for help with or we're looking for housing or whatever. And then we can kind of glean like names and ideas (laughs) of who these people are. But even then it's sort of like, we look forward to welcoming you when there's a vaccine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess if if there are newcomers or you know who are listening to this podcast, so this is a great way to get to connect to the shul and to be aware of what we're doing, and hopefully we can educate and entertain through this uh, through this podcast. Uh, but but let us know. I'd love to to meet if we can't uh, sit down for coffee. At least we can have a phone conversation. Um, uh, come to events that are happening online or that are happening non online, um, and and try to in ways that are safe and responsible, gradually and carefully uh, try to integrate yourself into the community. I I, I think this is really one of the hardest things to do uh, as a, um, you know, in this post-COVID era, right? Because the people that you know, you already formed relationships with, you see them, you pass them on the sidewalk, you can wave to them and and talk to them and and, and those relationships can continue. But it's, I found it very hard to meet new people and get to know them. That, that, That seems more of a challenge. Yeah. The interesting thing is like, um, there's all this literature now about like, how do you date uh, in the time of COVID? And uh, it's the the answer is basically like, it's really super hard because like, where are you going to go to like, haven't even have an extended conversation with someone? On the flip side, like if everything's happening over Zoom, then you could date someone in Paris, you know, doesn't matter. Right. I guess in the short term, you can date someone in Paris, I would imagine. 
down the line that could pose challenges. But um, I mean, presumably, at a certain point, you might want to like cohabitate or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the share city is good. This is maybe not a challenge of that stature, but uh, it still is a challenge. Um, and I guess if you have ideas of how we can be welcoming to others, if you yourself are looking for being welcomed, uh, please let us know. Um, we're really like trying as best we can to support people who are members of our community and welcome people who are who are new to our neighborhood and, and new to the community. And I think there's something that's normally like quite comfortable about showing up in person to like services at a shoal um, when you're new because you kind of like know exactly what to expect and what it's going to be like. And even even if there's an unwelcoming shoal where no one comes over to you and says, hello, what's your name? I don't know you yet. Like you're still there for a clear reason and, and that's kind of comfortable. Um, but I feel like joining like a Zoom event somehow feels more like intimate or, or, or intimidating than just like showing up to services somewhere where you're new. Um, but I think in this day and age, like I want to encourage, you know, if, if there's anyone who's new to the community who's listening to this, I would I would really encourage you to like, uh, you know, just be brave about it and, and, and a promise that will be like really super welcoming. When there have been people in Zoom classes and meetings whom I haven't known, I've tried to ask who they are and find out who they are. It hasn't been until now new members of the community. It's been uh, alumni, people who used to live here, who are remaining in touch in this very easy, convenient way with what our community is doing, which is wonderful and lovely, or people adjacent to the community. They have a friend who's a member or a neighbor who's a member who's like, oh, you'd be interested in this class, you'd be interested in this event, and they've joined, which is also wonderful and lovely, and we're honored to be a resource in that way to anyone who wants to take advantage. But I hope that newcomers as well will participate in online activities and and in that way come to know people in the community. I mean, again, that's also, it cuts both ways. There are, you know, Zoom events being sponsored by schools and institutions and organizations. Um, and it's really global, right? You can join and present really anywhere, from anywhere to anywhere. Um, but hopefully we can also use this technology to foster a sense of community as well. Yeah. So we are now in the, uh, I guess, the eponymous three weeks, okay, the three weeks between uh, Shiva Shavit Tammuz and Tisha B'Av, between the fast day of the 17th of Tammuz and the fast day of the 9th of Av. This is a time, uh, at least in Ashkenazi halacha and, and somewhat differently in Sephardic halacha, of increasing, uh, mourning of increasing severity leading up to the fast of Tisha B'Av, mourning the destruction of the base of Migdash. Uh, and it's just a heavy, heavy, heavy time right it, it, it's and who needs more heaviness right now i feel like everything is so heavy and life is just so much harder than usual yeah like like Svirata omer was kind of like that this this spring right that you know it's almost like the totally. sequel the folks who brought you Svirata omer and now come back with <laughs> to ruin your summer with, with three more weeks of, of mourning uh mourning no no weddings and and uh no major purchases and uh no live music and and all of these other um, restrictions that that uh, enable us to connect to this tragic, these tragic elements of of Jewish history, which culminate in, in Tisha B'Av. Um, uh, but this year it feels a little bit different. When, when I, you were just you alluded to that, can you can you share some more about your thoughts on that? Um, an interesting thing that that just came out, Rav uh, Herschel Schachter of Yeshiva University has been putting out since the beginning of this pandemic has been putting out. Chuvot, I would say almost weekly, um, of questions that he's been getting. And he wrote recently about music, listening to music. Um, and he, so one of the, one of the reasons why someone might, yes, be allowed to listen to music in a time of mourning and during the three weeks is if 
they are um, depressed and the music helps with their depression. And he writes in this way that just assumes that now, this year, everyone is depressed and therefore everyone can listen to music, um, which I thought was just so, like, beautiful, right? It, not to not to make light of, like, there's obviously a difference between clinical depression and kind of general sadness but that said we're all kind of you know one step kind of sadder than usual and his feeling is that um insofar as music can kind of alleviate that a little bit um it's therefore permissible to listen to music this year during the three weeks i think there are people who are like living through this time in very different ways some people are you know working from home and are, you know, responding in a resilient way. Some people are just, you know, maybe aren't working or are working limited hours and are much feeling very isolated. And music is a way to relieve that isolation and to pass the time and to take one's mind off of um, sort of the scrolling through the social media of doom, right? The doom yeah. scrolling, I call it, right? You know, so this, yeah. is, a, this is a way to do something else. Uh, um, and um, think some positive thoughts or at least not to be thinking negative thoughts. And, and that, that's that's a different use of music. And, and that, that's very different from the sort of um, like live public entertainment that I think the halacha is, you know, essentially like guarding against at this time of year, right? It's very, it's very different to be like, with a band or an orchestra um, in some public venue where people are rejoicing and maybe dancing or, or just being really like jolly together. That, that seems, that's very, very different from uh, some music on your stereo uh, while you're sitting in your apartment alone, you know, day after day, right. Or, or in your apartment with your children and, and family, right. Uh, claustrophobically, like trying to have some type of anything that, that takes your mind elsewhere to some other place. Right. That's also very, very different from the kind of um, like live musical experience that, these halachot originally um, were were limiting, and the the soothing effect of music actually starts very young. My father in law suggested that we play Mozart for our ten week old child, and one time when he was fussy, I put on some Mozart, and he immediately calmed down. Oh. It was crazy, actually. Um, so now there's like Mozart, we have like Mozart hour. <laughs> That's wonderful. When when uh, our oldest, uh, when when Noam was a baby, we lived in a one bedroom apartment. So his crib was in uh, our like living room dining room. And so when we put him to bed at whatever six six thirty, whenever it was, we would put on a CD with. Um, it, it was actually it was a stereo. Had two CDs, played two CDs at a time. Like okay, back back then. So it was one was a, a piece by Sasson, and the other was a French composer, and the other and then with Beethoven's a violin concerto. So it was maybe like an hour of um, of classical music that we sort of thought was like would sort of serve as like a to block the sound of us in the kitchen, like just a few like fifteen feet away, like <laughs> you know cooking and making our dinner and doing dishes and doing whatever we were doing. So we would just like have that on that, and then so while we he had his bedtime uh, meal and and uh, we put him to bed so so for and then we just kept that for like i think the first two years of his life that was the soundtrack of his bedtime so uh, we, we learned that music very well I, th- I think he learned that music very well he hasn't heard it in a while but that was uh, and then we had and we also we just would have like another stereo in our kitchen which was constantly playing um uh like the new york npr station so that was like i think during his like morning naps and afternoon naps we just we had uh like the Ryan Lehrer show and like morning edition, whatever, which just be like in, in the distant background to sort of, again, like sort of muffle the sounds that were coming from the other parts of the apartment. <laughs> I don't know how soothing uh, that, that the news would be, but anyways. 
that, that it was a simpler era back then than yeah. it was a simpler time. It was, uh, I mean, not really. It was pretty pretty uh, dramatic times then too, as as it has been for forever. But uh, you know, certainly the vo- you know the, the the dulcet tones of a, like a nice a good radio voice, like a good NPR radio voice. You know that that was that that was soothing certainly. <laughs> That's true. The NPR radio voice is is special. Yeah. So this week's Parsha, um, the, the opening of Parshat Matot, kind of um, like gets our, like, and our, our ears prickle when you hear the, the, the phrases of, the, of this, this Parsha. It, it alludes to, an, and the, the language evokes, uh, Kol Nidre, right? Because uh, Kol Nidre is an annulment of vows, and our Parsha begins with a procedure for annulling certain vows, like a married woman's vows or a... a young woman living at home, like how her father can annul her vows. And, and so all of the Nidarim and the Shavuot and the Isarim, right? Okay. Uh, that, uh, that our Parsha discusses is then poetically invoked by, by Kol Nidre. So even though it's still the summer, uh, the Parsha, I don't know, at least, at least when I, when I hear those words and I read those words, I, um, I immediately think of Kol Nidre and I suspect that's true for, for many of us. Uh, yeah, though interestingly, yeah. it's a completely different um, mechanism. So meaning our Parsha discusses what's called Hafarat Nidarim and at Kol Nidre or on our Rosh Hashanah, we do Hatarat Nidarim. So Hafarat Nidarim is, um, it's as if like the, the Nadar never happened. Like you just eliminate it from the source. Um, and there's all sorts of rules pertaining to that. It needs to happen the day of, there's only certain kinds of nidar, there's only certain kinds of vows that hafara works for. Um, it needs to like affect the father or the husband, for example, things like that. Um, whereas hatarat nedarim is this vow actually existed and now we're releasing it. Um, so that's kind of a totally different thing. And then the question is, well, actually, what is Kul Nidre? Because some versions of Kul Nidre are backwards facing, meaning any vow that I made is now released. And some are forwards facing. Any vow that I'll make in the coming year is hereby released. And there's a lot of debate about what actually the correct language for Kul Nidre is and should be. And it, that's all like wrapped up in debate also about whether or not anyone should actually be saying Kul Nidre, but we'll put that. Kul Nidre was a, was a controversial uh, prayer because. Um, that's not it, how Hatarat Nadarim works. Basically. Right. Right. The, the Hatarat Nadarim, you can only get out of a vow if you could have said, had I known this important fact about myself or the world, um, I would never would have made that vow. And then a baked in can investigate and say, oh, in that case, indeed, uh, the vow is released. Kol Nidre is much more um, broad and doesn't, there's no justification offered. And there's not even any specification of which vow you're talking about. I mean, if you have a particular vow you want to know, you should say it, right? I, I, okay. I, which I saw once in my life, somebody said, uh, you know, someone, he stood for all of Mila on Yom Kippur and he was getting older and found that challenging and was worried that since he had done it for so many years, maybe it was like a voluntary religious practice that had become obligatory for him and but he was worried that he wouldn't be able to do it. And so he asked for release from that vow. Um, if it was, you know, not that he ever made an explicit vow, but since he had done the practice so many times, perhaps, become, yeah, exactly, become obligatory uh, for him. So I, whatever, I was like 17. I was like, sure, go ahead, you know, <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> 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 That's also like, that's also the, the part that's a little bit, you know, it's not, not a particularly uh, august and <laughs> distinguished baited, right? It's like three guys you find in shul. Um, whether or not Kol Nidre is, on that model of Hatarat Nidarim, or, or it's a like a moda, like a um, 
an announcement. Uh, announcement of, that's future facing also is relevant to a distinct debate that that faces us this year when in all likelihood uh, and all expectation, we're not going to be able to gather in large numbers for Kol Nidre when, you know, as recently as last fall, we had, you know, maybe 600 people in the shul at Kol Nidre plus another 50 or so downstairs um, plus a bunch of children next door, right? So we had hundreds and hundreds of people gathered together uh, as Yom Kippur began. And that's not going to, it's not seem like it's going to be possible this year. Um, Kol Nidre, uh, is not a, um, you know, it's, it begins before sunset, right? So it's a pre-Yom Kippur, pre-Yantif ritual. And so there are other plans in many, many congregations to uh, recite Kol Nidre online, that we can gather online before we light candles and accept the fast and accept the beginning of Yom Kippur. Let's gather for Kol Nidre online. And there's a question of whether... It opens up, by the way, amazing possibilities in the... I learned about this in college. The reform movement has a cello composition for Kol Nidre, which is absolutely out of this world. I heard them practicing when I was undergrad and I was like, what is that? It's amazing. So I'm looking for a nice ad. (laughs) I I think, you know, I I had a, um, years ago, again, speaking of stereos, years ago when I had, you know, CDs and stuff, there was a, I I have a CD of like maybe 15 Chazanim singing Kol Nidre, uh, and including this orchestral composition, which which is really gorgeous. Um, so I have heard it, not for a long time, but I have heard it. Yeah, so in any event, Kol Nidre can be done, you know, you start a few minutes early just to give yourself some time buffer, and you can gather online for Kol Nidre, but uh, this is the question then, then does anyone need to be in person? So if it's modeled on Hatar Nidrin, at least the three men of the Beitin need to be together, and then and by Everyone the way, else. people might not realize that that we actually normally at Kol Nidre, the people gathered around in the middle of Shul carrying Sifrei Torah, that's the Beitin. Correct, correct. The Chazin with, with two other men on, on either side of him is a Beitin of three. And that is, um, so So we do have a Beitin of sorts, right, in the middle of the Shul. And we declare the Beitin shall now, the Beitin, right? We, you know, uh, the Beitin says that we're allowed to pray with the sinners who may have been banned from the Shul the rest of the year, that everyone is, can come together for Yom Kippur. And that, that's, they declare that. And then Kol Nidre is said in the presence of this Beitin. Um, but maybe the Beitin doesn't have to be there because maybe what's really happening is not a Hatarat Nidarim in the presence of the Beitin. Maybe it's just each one of us uh, is making a public declaration that uh, any accidental obligations we might take on ourselves in the coming year is we don't want to be bound to, right? We only, obviously we make promises to people. We have to keep those promises. We have to pay our debts. But if we, um, without realizing it, uh, somehow become committed to some voluntary practice, we don't want to be bound and accountable to that, that optional practice. And uh, that might not require a beitin to be present in person. And maybe Kul Nidri then could be said as an individual, wherever you are, uh, and and by gathering online, we're sort of making that declaration public, and that might be just as good as having a Beitin gathered in any particular location. Right. I mean, and uh, the, the, uh, another interesting piece of this is just that the sense that that a Beitin cannot truly gather online. <clears throat> Correct. Right. That somehow public declarations can take place, which is all, which is I, I don't know that that's um, even uh, right. The Beitin can like hear cases and adjudicate online. But I believe the bait in themselves is all in, has to be in one one place. This came up before Pesach this year when people um, were um, like declaring their dishes 
Hefka, right, in the presence of the Beitin, right? So that- They were calling in, they had like a dial-in number. Yeah, exactly, right? So they wouldn't have to do Tefillah Kalim. If the Beitin, if, they're, if, they're, if my new pot doesn't belong to me because I've declared it ownerless, then I can just take it and use it without bringing it to the mikvah first. There are other, you know, I, I, I told people that that was actually not necessary and that if the mitzvah, so long as the mitzvah was impossible to fulfill, you can use the pots and pans without bringing them to the mikvah. And that's based on a position of Shalom Zaman Arbach and, and others who, who have sort of encouraged that this year. But other, many others preferred to... Arbach did not encourage that this year, or maybe he did, but from the world to come. <laughs> right, no, sorry. Based on a position he articulated before he died yeah. uh, 25 years ago. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but... Uh, uh, but other, but others, uh, so, you know, declared their their possessions ownerless and in that way, or they or they were sold to a gentile in this way. They didn't require. But um, but using Zoom to establish like a public, um, which is different from a minion and different yeah. from Baitin. Um, I actually did that. I benched Gomel over Zoom um, as per. The instructions of every everyone basically at the time um and after after Sai was born um and that is using zoom to establish a, a public moment right there was no minion there because so you couldn't have said whatever's you know couldn't have Paddish, yeah. right, Paddish, right but um there were many people gathered hundreds of people gathered online and so Birkata Gomel could be recited and can be recited. So that, that's, I don't know, I think it's interesting. Like all of these, these challenges are kind of forcing us to clarify what, you know, right? Is Kol Nidre about a Beitin or is it about public? And what's public and what requires a minion? And what, you know, so all of these um, sort of different nuances of like mitzvah observance that we kind of didn't have to pay attention to. Uh, this, this crisis has forced us to kind of really tease out and pay attention to the nuances and the subtle differences between these various um, like facets of, of mitzvah observance. And the discussion about Kol Nidre is so amazing because I think if you said, do I need to do Kol Nidre? Everyone would say, no, of course not. But once you want to do Kol Nidre, then you have to ask all these questions. But what's amazing is that the answer from no one in, in that halakhic conversation is, well, we're just going to skip Kol Nidre this year. It's just a question of, do three people need to be together in Shul and everyone else is at home on Zoom? Or can everyone be home on Zoom? Like Kol Nidre has had this kind of like sticking power that in and of itself is like, really fascinating and probably just a triumph of the beautiful Nusach. Um, but also that, like, what is it, like, how, like, our strive towards normalcy this year as much as we can, um, given these, like, crazy circumstances, means that no one's really having the conversation, oh, just skip Kul Nidre, because at least in some way it could be done over Zoom, so we're, like, trying to do that, which I think I think is is nice. Yeah, I, I would I would phrase it less as a as a striving for normalcy, uh, as more as striving for moments of community. Right, that such mm-hmm. a powerful sense of community on Yom Kippur at, at our shul in in recent years. Right, hundreds of people, every seat taken. Um, right, and you see, you know, your friends, your enemies, uh, you know, the people you <laughs> haven't seen, you know, you you see every day, the people you haven't seen since last Yom Kippur, and and kids get older and. And adults get older, and, and just like that, that that community coming together for these holidays uh, is such a such a powerful experience. So I I, I don't I, I would I might advise somebody I don't know yeah I don't know. You, if you want to say Kondre say don't say it. it's not just an important tefillah in the scheme of things uh, just be careful you know not to 
make nidarim, right? Don't, don't take vows, and right. then and you're fine. In general, uh, though, even if yeah. you take kol nidre, don't make nidarim. Exactly right. Don't don't make commitments you can't keep, and be careful about what you might accidentally take on. And and you know that that's the advice I would give. I, I'd say kwa kol nidre. It's not an important prayer. I do think that uh, as a moment in our life as a community is valuable, and so that to me, that's why I'm going to try to convene some sort of online kol nidre experience for Anshe Shalom, less because I think it's like a religiously important prayer to be recited as I think it can be a like an important moment for the community that we have a chance to come together. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Straw Hat. Thank you as always to our producer, Haley Leventhal, for all the hard work that she does in making this podcast happen. If you love what you heard or you have questions or comments, you can send us emails or voice notes or slip things under our doors of our homes, and we would love to be in touch with you. And if you have negative feedback, you should definitely make a vow about it and then contemplate what you're going to do about Dre in terms of getting that involved. Um, So thank you so much again for listening. Have a wonderful week.